0: Good afternoon
1: and welcome. It is an ugly feature of campaign 2021. We have seen protests turn violent, as well as some aggressive demonstrations that blocked access to hospitals. Much of the anger is focused on liberal leader Justin Trudeau, who refers to them as anti-vax mobs. But who are they specifically? Is this a phenomenon inspired by the kind of violence that we've seen south of the border? One thing that's very different here is that all political leaders, including the People's Party of Canada's Maxime Bernier, have condemned the violence. Is it an aberration, though, or will it be a constant feature of our political Scene. Like to hear from you. What do you think about this? 416 360 0740, toll free 1 866 740 4740. And now I'm joined by Dr. Barbara Perry, who is the director of Ontario Tech University's Center on Hate, Bias, and Extremism. Dr. Christopher Cochran, an associate professor in the Department of Political Science at the U of T Scarborough, and Doris Greenspoon, chief executive officer of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. Thank you all for joining us. I appreciate
2: it. Thank you for having us, Nevi.
1: Okay, yep. let us begin be with Dr. Perry. So, uh, the liberal leader describes uh, these people as anti-vax mobs. Is is, is that a, a
3: blanket description accurate? Um, I think it's a little broader than that. I think that's a pretty narrow way to look at it. And we have to consider the fact that this is not a new phenomenon. Even just the anti-true sentiment, uh, sorry, anti-Trudeau sentiment, is not a new phenomenon. It's something that we've seen almost since the time he was elected. Uh, and really sort of was exacerbated after Trump's election. I mean, the the pro-Trumpers here in particular, uh, you know, saw Trump as a hero and sort of saw Trudeau then as the direct antithesis uh, of him. So he has come under attack for four or five years now uh, from a whole swath. Of, of Canadians with different sets of, of grievances. And I think that that's what we have to remember here, that, yeah, a lot of them are, uh, you know, angry about uh, lockdowns and vaccinations, um, not all of which, you know, Trudeau is is responsible for. Uh, but um, there are a whole array of other factors predating COVID uh, that uh, are also at play there. And, of course, we've got the far right then exploiting these anxieties as well.
1: Uh, Chris Cochran, what do you see as uh, the other side of the anger against Justin Trudeau?
4: Well, I think the, the, the comment about the United States and the influence of Donald Trump in particular is bang on. This is a more general phenomenon. Usually you call it political science populism, uh, of resentment and, and fundamental distrust of elites and the people who appear to be elites. And it manifests itself in all kinds of different ways. So when experts are telling you to get vaccinated, one of the things that it's not at all surprising to see populists take up is the mantle of being opposed to vaccines. If there was some other issue that experts were promoting or that seemed to be a general consensus among the so-called elites of Canadian society, then it's likely that that would be the lightning rod of opposition. So Trump really gave it a a face in the United States. And as the saying goes, when the Americans sneeze, Canada catches a cold. So it's not at all a surprise that we're seeing this year.
1: Doris Greenspoon, uh, it must be terrible for frontline healthcare workers who are exhausted, uh, who are now taking care of largely unvaccinated people when it comes to COVID-19. And, and they come to work and they see this.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Libby. And to the comments of my colleagues that just commented, uh, this is all connected. This is not uh, just what has happened always before. Absolutely not. This is an escalating violence. I'm mean, particularly very concerned about London, Ontario, where you have uh, people, including the nurse that organizes uh, these rallies, which, let me tell the public, is one nurse that has been reported to the College of Nurses, these people are connected to the PPC. They have said they are connected to the PPC. And to put uh, the Prime Minister uh, in Muslim cloth- clothing, as they did in one of the rallies and with the hanging feature, first of all, it's an affront on the Muslim community that incites violence. And second of all, no, this is not as usual. So we need to be very, very careful. For those of us that have lived in other countries and seen and smelled violence, we better be careful and not take it This is as usual. This is a movement from the South. This is incited politically, and this is a means of organizing for future violence. And I have heard maybe from reporters that off the record tell me that they have spoken with people on the streets in London and that they have been told, uh, yeah, I am willing to become violent. So we better don't take it. Uh, things as usual. Healthcare workers are living because of this. Also, patients with cancer need to get off their car to walk to chemo. This is not things as usual. Not from the prime minister or any other party leader, for for that matter, that would be attacked like this. Uh, and certainly not healthcare workers. We never have seen something like that towards healthcare workers. It's absolutely. Uh, an affront on the work of our colleagues and an affront on political leaders.
1: Dr. Perry, do you agree that this is something new? And I'm also curious, uh, you know, sometimes people just get sick of their politicians. Is, is there anything um, just kind of more benign wrapped up in, in this type of sentiment?
3: Well, I mean, we have seen these sorts of... Um, I won't know, I don't know if we want to call them attacks, but we have seen incidents on other campaign trails, you know, Kretchen, I think, had a pie thrown in his face at one point, that sort of thing. But it's the continuity of this, the fact that it is consistent, that there is, you know, like a a swarm, it almost seems, of, uh, protesters, if we can call them that, who are following Trudeau, that there is this ongoing organization uh, and sharing of the itinerary so that they know where he is so they can follow him and that they can, uh, you know, they can engage in this sort of hate and and dangerous hate speech not just you know offensive but dangerous uh, hate speech um, so it is very different than what we've seen before it's it's loosely orchestrated I won't say highly organized but loosely orchestrated uh, and uh, that is something that we've not seen um, this sort of uh, collective um, anger directed at and 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 individual it's not at the Liberal Party it's not anti just anti status just at the towards the government Government, sorry, uh, it is directed towards Trudeau personally. Uh, you know the the ad hominem attacks on him, the feminization of Trudeau, the as as Doris referred to the uh, you know the images of him uh, being hanged, those those sorts of pieces. Uh, you know the fact that there is such a broad um, group engaged here. And the fact that it is so, um, so diverse in its manifestations, I think is definitely something new. Uh,
1: Dr. Cochran, um, again, uh, so what do you see as being sort of the key difference here? And, and what about, you know, taking this to healthcare workers? That seems really beyond the pale
4: yeah I mean, there's no question there's an intensification. And whether it's anger you know surrounding the pandemic and and people just being generally angry about the way things are going in 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 society and in their lives it being sort of reflected on a campaign trail, um, you know which may be adding an element to this to this uh, to this confrontation, but there's no question that it's more sustained than we've seen. And the incidents of you know in the past, it's certainly right to mention you know Jean Quein being, Pied in the face is a good example, and John Crenshaw had a few altercations even with protesters, one a physical one. But it didn't. they didn't have the sustained, uh, you know, sort of visceral and, and, and threatening aspect that a lot of these ones uh, have had. So um, in terms of where we go from here, I think one of the things that is, you know, distinguishes Canada from the American equivalent is that we don't have in our uh, political leadership— anybody like Donald Trump um, really encouraging and incentivizing um, this kind of behavior. So for now, all of the leaders have distanced themselves from it. And that's not going to solve the problem, but it is going to make it less worse than I think it would otherwise be.
1: And what do you think of the fact that we haven't seen much of Donald Trump lately and Joe Biden is in power? Is, Is that going to minimize the impact of that?
4: Yeah, I think it's like, I mean, it's not, it's not Donald Trump himself, who's personally responsible for this. I think he was riding and amplifying a tiger that he frankly wasn't able to control. But there's a whole, you'd even call it a media ecosystem. There's a whole network of media organizations outside of what people would consider to be the mainstream that feed information. And and that's where a lot of these protesters certainly are drawing their information. So they're not listening to the same sorts of sources that that most other people are and for that reason it can be very difficult to reach them and as long as that exists and continues then we'll likely see this this um this legacy reverberate and hopefully not be amplified but potentially be amplified at some point down the line by by political leaders Uh,
1: doris it's it's interesting that uh you know a lot of the people here I know that they listen to the sources that Dr. Cochran mentioned, you know, almost as if they're homegrown. And in the last very short while, like a week or two, I think five anti-vax right-wing radio hosts died of
2: COVID. Yep. So what? let me tell you what I have spoken with the premier and what RNO is asking to get to solutions here. Number one, we need uh, uh, safe zones. We must immediately implement safe zones across not only our hospitals, any health care facility, and any educational facility. Just imagine if kids will see this, and I will call them mobs too, and I want to talk with you why I call them mobs. Second, we want charges being pressed against any affront, violent, verbal, or otherwise, because nurses are being spit at or patients, we want charges being laid. If we don't nip this in the bud, it will continue. I think that our colleagues are correct on saying this is not everybody. 80% of people go to these rallies because they are, quite frankly, exhausted of the pandemic. They lost their job. They are pissed off at everything, including... The policies. They don't know even where the policies come from, but they're pissed off. Um, 10% go because they are just uh, anti vaxxers. And then the other 10% or five, or even if it's two is enough, is actually people that are looking for opportunities to get these people organized against the establishment, which is the MAGA movement, uh, against whatever. Perceived taking their freedoms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the one nurse that we reported to the college. Uh, so this is not just uh, a very simple thing uh, because it can continue. It can continue. My hunch is it will go, it will escalate further until the elections. Then in Ontario, it will continue to escalate with the passport piece or the certificate. And then it will start to slow down the Sooner the Premier and the OPP move into clear, safe zones and into clear directions. I'm talking with you as a nurse and as a sociologist. I, I, my PhD is in sociology.
1: Okay, yeah, but l- 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 let's sort of drill down on, on the impact on the federal election. And I want to give the numbers out again, people. Uh, what do you think about this? Are you disturbed to see this type of violence, a very aggressive behavior, even directed at healthcare workers, in this election campaign, we have a few minutes left in this segment, 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 And Dr. Perry, Doris was citing things that are uh, provincial responsibilities. Why would you say that all the anger is so focused uh, on Justin Trudeau? Um is it because perhaps he had too much exposure at the beginning of the pandemic? How
3: do you see that? Well, I think that again, it goes back to that longer legacy of anti-Trudeau sentiment. Uh, and, you know, I think that there are a lot of people who ultimately hold the prime minister responsible for any sort of national crisis uh, like that we're experiencing right now. So uh, in some respects, I guess it makes sense, but you know, they, they tie that into or, or, I should say, um, is that especially the sort of those who have infiltrated from the far right and from other elements try to weave in other kinds of narratives as well. Um, that you know, so, so for example, some of the conspiracy theories around uh, you know immigrants and and uh, and newcomers and travelers, people who've been traveling to, to visit family in other countries, it's them that's responsible, and and uh, and indirectly then Trudeau because he's responsible for our uh, you know immigration policies, those sorts of things. So they really we can you know weave a really uh, I think odd tapestry. Uh, excuse me, of these specific COVID concerns with other kinds of, of anxiety. Uh, and again, I, I, think especially the financial piece of it, the economic piece of it, um, you know, if, if he's not directly responsible for, for managing COVID, he's at least responsible or the federal government is responsible for, uh, you know, the economic recovery. And I think that, you know, there's, there's dissatisfaction that there hasn't been greater movement, uh, or greater dialogue around what that looks like. Uh, so I think, yeah, there are multiple pieces. There's not just, you know, one element here that is uh, that is at play. Let's take a couple of calls,
1: Rita, in Milton. Hi, Rita. Hi, how are you? Fine. Go ahead. You're on the air.
3: Okay. Uh, the way to protest is not throwing stones at the prime minister. You do it at the voting station. Uh,
1: good advice. That's what we all thought beforehand.
3: Well, I don't know what's with
5: people, but uh, that's not the way to do it.
3: Thanks,
1: Rita, for that. And uh, Jody in Toronto. Hello, Jody. Hi,
5: Libby. Thank you
6: for
7: taking my call. You know, Trudeau was painting this whole thing like everybody at the protest are anti-vaxxers, the mob. There's a lot of people there that are not anti-vaxxers, just looking at the signs that they're carrying, and they have other grievances. And he's trying to paint this as a one thing. It's just the mob. It's the mob. People have other grievances against him. Uh, 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 a ton of them. I could rhyme them off. So, but he's trying to spin it that way. It's just, just this one group that don't care for him or whatever. I don't think anybody should be throwing stones. Of course not. But uh, there's a lot of people that are very, very angry with him over a lot of things, not just the, the anti-vaxxer people.
1: Okay, thank you for that, Jody., um, We are just about out of time on this segment. I'm gonna give each of our panelists twenty seconds. Dr. Perry.
3: Well, uh, hardly know where to go there. Uh, it, one of the questions I'm often asked is, you know what how do we stop this? And I think that we need to continue to demand that all party leaders, uh you know, in the strongest terms, this distance themselves and um and just decry this kind of violence. And, and it's not enough, as like Bernier said, uh, to to condemn the violence. You've also got to condemn the violent speech, which he has not done.
1: Okay. And uh, Chris Cochran, 20 seconds.
4: Yeah, I think uh, the, you know, the point of the caller that there are legitimate reasons to be protesting the prime minister is certainly well taken. We do have to find a way to balance the rights of free speech and and protest in a free society with the with the safety, obviously, of political leaders, but also the rights of others. And there's a big difference between protesting a prime minister and protesting health care workers going in to do their job. And I'm sure the police and the courts would be able to take that into consideration.
1: Okay. And Doris, last 20 seconds to you. Safe
2: zones for, for health care facilities and schools and pressing charges against violence, not against peaceful protest, against violence and hatred speech, any type of including spitting at healthcare care workers.
1: Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Barbara Perry, Dr. Chris Cochran, and Doris Greenspoon. We appreciate your time. And we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll uh, drill down a little more on the election, the polls, and the way the leaders are campaigning. And I think a lot is going to come down to how Justin Trudeau is perceived versus Aaron O'Toole. We're going to have that when we come back.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome
1: back. We're at a critical point in the election campaign. At least that is the conventional wisdom. The official French language debate took place last night and the only English debate will be held tonight. Will they move the needle? Well, maybe But only if there's one of those rare knockout punches. Most of the polls show the liberals and conservatives neck and neck. And I find it very interesting that Justin Trudeau is going very negative, which is to say that he is going against type, at least the type the sunny ways type that brought him the most success. Uh, the consensus seems to be that he's not been successful so far in making Aaron O'Toole look scary, and nor has he convinced, at least not yet, progressive voters that a vote for Jugmeet Singh is a vote for the conservatives. People, what do you think? 416 toll-free 866 740 Let's bring in Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, and Kim Wright, Principal of Wright Strategies. Thank you both for joining us. Thanks for
7: having me on. Thanks for having us.
1: Daryl Bricker, let's begin with you. Um, what do you make of Trudeau going so negative?
8: Well, he really doesn't have a choice. I mean, the, the liberal campaign is not turning out the way that uh, that they planned it when they called it back in mid-August. And the only way that he can get back on track is he has to push the NDP hard. to get the biggest group of switch voters in this campaign back on side, and those would be Liberal and NDP switchers. And the way that they do that is uh, a time-worn strategy from the Liberal Party, which is to demonize the Conservatives, uh, to marginalize the NDP. The question is whether or not that will work this time
1: uh so, Daryl, before we move on to Kim, do you think, it, it, how how are they doing with that?
8: Well, so far, not well. And, and the reason for that is because the what they need in order for that to work is the conservatives to be seen by that specific group of voters as having a hidden agenda. And um, at this point, Trudeau actually leads Aaron O'Toole, who's most likely to have a hidden agenda. So that's one problem. And the second thing is that... Uh, 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 Jagmeet Singh, the leader of the NDP, can just as easily turn pivot on that attack from the Liberals and say, "You know what? I actually agree with you, Liberal Party. I'm worried about the uh, I'm worried about the Conservatives." And, but by the way, you know, you've got six years of a broken record on all these progressive. Uh, policies that we really care about, and we will at least fight for them in a way that you didn't. So it's a very complicated thing. It's a it's a it's a difficult strategy to execute, and a lot of things have to happen in order for it to work.
1: Kim Wright, uh, Jugmeet Singh is coming off as a very uh, attractive candidate, attractive personally. Uh, but uh, what about that argument that a vote for him is a vote for the conservatives?
7: Well, and Daryl hit it right on the head that the Justin Trudeau and his government has had six years in office. Uh, they've had opportunity after opportunity to do the right thing, whether it's been on child care uh, which has been promised in these 30 years that I've been in politics, every campaign by the liberals, and they still haven't quite gotten there yet. Uh, pharmacare, uh, clean drinking water and in indigenous communities. You heard that coming up a bit last night on the debate. I suspect you'll hear a lot more of that. Uh, you'll also hear that, uh, you know, that, uh, the Trudeau liberals have had a worse, worsening record on emissions, uh, the worst of any G7 countries. So people, are already feeling, well, why should we vote for you again? Uh, so they're looking at Jagmeet Singh and the New Democrats and what they've accomplished over the last two years uh, in, in the House of Commons. They've also had a really good impression of Jagmeet Singh uh, in the last election, especially in the last couple of weeks of the campaign. He sort of started to get his mojo. In this election, he hasn't had some of the, some of the problems that plagued him last election. So he's got amazing candidates. He's got uh, polling numbers that are are, are quite remarkable, even in Quebec. Uh, some of the, some of them have been in that, you know, 19-20% uh, range, which is remarkable for New Democrats in Quebec. Um, he's got great candidates, money in the bank. He also has a child on the way. So he is crystal clear focused on what he's doing. And all of that authenticity uh, is why you're seeing people go, huh, maybe, maybe we can have a look at this fellow. Daryl Bricker, um, so...
1: What about that? I mean, is there any chance that Jagmeet Singh could pull a Trudeau and come from third party?
8: Well, it's not in the numbers right now. I mean, but anything can happen in the last week. He's got a fair amount of ground to make up. But to give him credit, he's already made up a fair amount of ground. Uh, But what's really happened in this campaign, and it's what six years of being in power does, uh, is that um, the Sunny Ways candidate that Justin Trudeau was back in 2015 All of those attributes in our polling are now owned by um, Jagmeet Singh. (laughs) And all of the competence attributes are owned by, pretty much, by Aaron O'Toole. So Justin Trudeau is finding a a really difficult time taking on, having a difficult time taking on that duo. And uh, I've said this before, and I'll say it again here, the most effective uh, litigator against Justin Trudeau's record on the stage in the debate is actually Jagmeet Singh. I mean, uh, you get into the normal liberal Tory kind of back and forth. It doesn't cut through as well as somebody who's an, uh, an absolute, um, uh, you know, undeniably a progressive candidate going after Justin Trudeau on progressive issues. Uh, you know, if I was in his position, I don't know exactly how I would be able to deal with it. So in, in, in tonight's debate, uh, you might even see Aaron O'Toole basically holding Jagme Singh's beer, uh, for most of it because he can do a better job of attacking uh, Justin Trudeau as he did last night, than Arnold Tool does.
1: One of the things I found interesting is that the Liberals went into this and uh, mandatory vaccination uh, was the first thing out of the gate, and it, it's a wedge issue, and I thought that would actually be successful, and they do have an edge over the Tories on that, but where is that at at this
7: point? Kim? So it's interesting because uh, Justin Trudeau likes to talk about how Aaron O'Toole can't control his own candidates. And uh, the problem is that neither can Justin Trudeau. Not all of his candidates are double vaccinated. Uh, So he's had to admit that a couple of times. Justin Trudeau has a problem, and I'm sure this is coming through in Daryl's numbers, of... For liberal voters who are just not sure about this guy anymore, Uh, whether it has been on why did you call an election in the first place, certainly on the first day uh, of the campaign where Afghanistan has fallen and we were leaving our soldiers, our interpreters. People who have helped us? We were leaving them behind, and your listeners will know we have a proud history in this country of, of diplomatic and military service where we don't leave people behind. So, all of that he was completely tripping up the prime minister out of the gate. And then he's got this problem with Raj Saney, the uh a candidate, MP, and candidate in, in Kitchener Center, who you know now kind of isn't a candidate, but here's the dirty secret he's still on the ballot. As a liberal, and you bet your bottom dollar that if it comes down to a majority or minority government, Justin Trudeau will welcome him back in with open arms if he's reelected. So all of this comes to a credibility gap problem for for Justin. Uh, and and that becomes more and more evident on the stage. The other problem, and we saw it at the end of the debate last night, is Justin has been very thin-skinned on the campaign trail. He's been snapping at reporters. And this isn't because necessarily because of the protesters. He doesn't like to be questioned. And you saw last night on the debate stage at the end, the thing that he was most animated about uh, was that, you know, the block leader was questioning his Quebec uh, credibility. Uh, so it seems a bit strange as things to get uppity about, but there it was, and we'll see probably more of that this evening. And
1: Kim, speaking of that, this just in, uh, Premier Francois Legault says the federal Liberals and NDP are dangerous for Quebec because they want to reduce the province's autonomy. Um, Daryl, is that going to help uh, O'Toole in Quebec? He praised so- O'Toole.
8: Well, it might, but, I mean, the, the the truth is the real fight in Quebec is between the Bloc and the, uh, and the Liberal Party. The other two parties uh, have an effect maybe in some specific places in Quebec in the way that they happen to split the vote. But, uh, uh, you know, one of the most popular politicians, if not the most popular politician in the country right now, is Francois Legault. Um, so him saying anything in this campaign, which, by the way... Premiers tend to be a little careful about that although that's not always been the case. But him saying that may have some effect, but I don't know that it's going to lead to a lot of people stampeding, you know, in one direction or another in, in the in this election.
1: Okay, I'm going to take a call from Sita in Mississauga. Hello Sita. Hi everyone. How are you? Fine. How are you? Go ahead. Good. Um, Mr. Trudeau
6: is not pulling me or changing my mind towards his party or who to vote for by saying a vote for Singh is a vote for the Conservative. But we have to be concerned about it because we're dividing our vote between those, Mr. Trudeau and Singh, which could give Conservative a win if we don't want Conservative to win. So what are we to do?
1: uh i so I, I what are you saying sita that, that that you agree with him that progressive people should vote liberal and not n d p
6: no 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 we're not i'm not agreeing with him that would not change my mind to vote for him, but what I'm saying is we got to be so careful because people are going to be vote like splitting the vote so much that conservatives could walk away with a win
1: they could yeah, they could.
6: Yes, and that's what my concern is. So, I mean, we have, Mr. Singh has done a great job. He's honest. He's um, getting people swaying to to him. And hopefully he has a bigger turnout in voting. So at least we have maybe a
1: bigger turnover in our politics. Okay. Sita, thanks for that. Thank you. I, th- I, th- I think <laughs> that, uh, if anything, that shows that, that people are thinking about it anyway. Let's go to Eric in Richmond Hill. Hello, Eric. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? Okay. Go ahead.
9: Libby, what I'm calling on is that, um, first, let me give you my background. I have um, voted for NDP and all the three parties, whether it's federal or provincial, but it has always been between liberal and PC on the federal stage. Now, in saying that, all these people that are running, the only person that we have a scorecard on isn't Justin Trudeau. Because he actually is a current Prime Minister, and he's been there now for, what, six, seven years? Yep. Now, in saying that, I'm going to put everything in a nutshell. The first time I voted for him, and the second time I did not. And um, this trip, I'm hoping that the NDP can do a little bit better. So we can have a stronger minority government. Um, listen, I hear all kind of comments. I'm gonna be very blunt. The the handling of the COVID nineteen from day one is a failure. We were late through the gates and shutting down and ordering vaccines, whatever. Our recovery plan has been successful. On my scorecard for Justin Trudeau, I read him a D minus. Okay. I'm just on the basic that
1: Okay, thank you for that, Eric. D minus. Um, I don't think that adds up to a, a check mark at uh, the ballot box, Daryl. Um, so, are are these kind of tactical questions still in play? Then,
8: oh, well, I actually think that the uh, the first caller that position is very much the dilemma of a Liberal NDP switcher right now. And uh, they, they could, could be thinking tact- tactically, maybe, but I actually think it's a genuine concern uh, that they really are on the horns of a dilemma. And over the space of the next week, they're going to work that out. Or they're not going to vote, which is the same as pretty much working it out. Uh, but um, uh, the one thing I will say in the second caller, that is not the general perception of the Canadian population. One of the real problems that Justin Trudeau has in this election campaign, which is when you look at what people think about how his government performed during the pandemic, the grades are much better than a D minus. They're actually pretty favorable. And normally what you see is a correlation between how a government performs and how people are going to vote. This time around, they become completely detached. So the public is able to say, you know, you did a good job on the uh, managing the pandemic, but they're so upset with the fact that we're in this campaign and the reason for which it was called that it's now completely focused on the Liberal Party and the Prime Minister and whether or not you think they should be rewarded uh, with another government because of them pushing us into this election campaign. And it's incredible how much the, uh, the, the way and how And why this election was called has completely blotted out the sun for everything else that's come up in this election campaign.
1: That's uh, so interesting because, you know, one of the truisms always is people forget about that. Kim, uh, do you agree that that is a driving force for the election? And is part of it that that people maybe just be sick of Trudeau? We get sick of politicians.
7: It's so it, it's interesting because there's a couple of other factors into that. And one of the things that's happened over the last couple of years, certainly during the pandemic, has been how uh, Jagmeet Singh and the New Democrats have pushed harder on the government. So, you know, originally the CERB was only going to be a $1,000 a month. And recognizing people couldn't stay home and, and live off of that, uh, they pushed for it to be 2000 the extension of it. That the Justin Trudeau voted 22 times against, uh, paid sick leave, uh, which has been which is key for people during this pandemic. So it, it, his message, Che's message of add more new Democrats but get better results uh, really is starting to resonate. The other thing I will always say about strategic voting messaging and, and Daryl touched on it earlier, it's a bit of this boogeyman and people trying to you know try to sort this out. But I've heard for years, even in places like Toronto-Danforth, which I think there are about six conservatives who live in Toronto-Danforth in total. But oh my gosh, you got to vote for Liberal to to keep out the conservative. Like these 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 conversations are hopeful to be boogeymen and strawmen to to move uh, to move voters. Yes, it works. That's why you're going to continue to see uh, the Liberals push that strategic voting message. Uh, but hopefully people will start to go, you know what? I like these new Democrats. I like this judging fellow. The flip side of that is what's happening with the People's Party. And certainly there are a lot of writings, uh, that whether or not these are voters who have never voted or have been off, off the, you know, off on the bench for the last while, or are they disaffected conservative voters? We don't really know yet what that, how, the, but there are certainly a couple of writings, uh, that may factor in. But ultimately, what I'll say is just go a vote. Go for vote for what you actually want to see in Canada. And that will uh, that will change a lot of conversation. Daryl,
1: the last 20
8: seconds to you. Yeah, the most consequential event of this camp- entire campaign was near the start in which Jagman Singh said that he would be prepared to work with a, a government led by, uh, by Aaron O'Toole. Um, And that has created a very important strategic problem for Justin Trudeau in the Liberal Party. So I think that the NDP is playing a really big role in this campaign and probably are going to play an incredibly big role in the next government to come.
1: Okay. Boy, very interesting talk. And we have uh, an interesting uh, little over a week to go. Thank you so much, Daryl Bricker and Kim Wright. Thank
7: you.
8: Thank you.
1: Bye-bye. We're going to take another break, and when we come back, boy, there has been an explosion of people requesting medical exemptions to getting a vaccine, and uh, family docs have been seeing that. So uh, what is that all about, and what actually constitutes a legitimate medical exemption? Because there aren't many. We're going to have that when we come back
0: you're listening to an exclusive podcast of fight back on zoomer radio heard weekdays from noon to one fight back with libby zneimer on zoomer radio
1: welcome back with the advent of vaccine passports, many doctors are being deluged with requests for medical exemptions to vaccination for their patients. This after the CEO of the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario told Ontario doctors to be judicious when it comes to to giving out those exemptions acceptable reasons are apparently very rare such as an allergist immunologist confirmed serious allergy or anaphylactic anaphylactic reaction so but a lot of people are convinced that they qualify numbers to call 416-360-0740 toll free one 866 740 and now I'd like to bring in family physicians Dr. Alisa Naiman uh with the Medical Station Clinic in Toronto and Dr. Jason Profetto with Profeto Savitary Family Medicine in Hamilton thank you both for joining us thank you thank you so Dr. Naiman uh you are getting a lot of these requests right
5: um, unfortunately, we've, I've received a lot of requests, and it's been an extremely challenging conversation to have with patients. They're very upset when they feel that they should, we should, I should be providing them with a medical exemption. And as you mentioned, there's very few criteria. And then they'll tell me that their friend's doctor gave them a note, and I'm their doctor, and I need to be there to help them. And it's honestly put me in a very, very difficult situation. And the last three weeks have probably been the hardest three weeks of my career dealing with people who are very agitated and wanting a, a vaccine exemption. Uh,
1: I heard that from other people too, and I can just imagine how difficult uh, it is. Dr. Profeto, have you been having the same experience? Y-
10: yeah, actually what Dr. Naiman refers to is very similar to the experience I've been having in my office. And I agree. I, I feel like uh, the doctor and I have probably been working side by side, but just geographically distant with requests in the last, say, few weeks since the vaccine passports have been mentioned. The the number of requests per day or per week have gone up dramatically and actually have re- increased the, the work burden significantly.
1: Like, give me a number, please.
10: I, I would say in my office, and I spoke about this on, on, on another show, is like, I'm probably in Dozens per day, or upwards of a couple hundred per week, at wow. least in the last week or thereabouts.
1: So, Dr. Naaman, what are the kinds of things that people say qualifies them?
5: So, people, it's, it's actually quite interesting. People will give me many reasons. I have one patient who's pregnant who feels like she should have an exemption. Um, I have people who feel like they have allergies, they have a seizure. Um, they just don't want the vaccine. They don't believe in the science. They feel like, why are they being forced to have the vaccine? And that it's causing them to stress and that I should be providing them with a, with an exemption. Uh,
1: Dr. Profeta, what are the reasons you hear from your patients?
10: I, I think very, very similar to Dr. and I think, and in particular, a lot of things that otherwise in the past we probably would have provided some exemption for. So, for an, for example certain types of autoimmune diseases, there's always a lot of controversy around pregnancy and different types of medical issues that are chronic in nature and, and require monitoring or medication that make people in particular nervous to get any vaccination. I think those are the ones that have been most challenging.
1: Uh, it's it's interesting with pregnancy, I heard the opposite, that, that people who are pregnant can get a very serious case and that they should particularly get vaccinated.
5: That's correct. That's 100% uh, the reason. And when, when I tell the patient, um, actually, it's actually recommended that you get the vaccine by being pregnant, it puts you at increased risk of having a complication. You know, I go through the stories of how people have do, do, um, delivered in the ICU and people just... The people who haven't got the vaccine now, there's a small a group of people who I think will be shifted because of the passport. And then there 's this hardcore group of people who just don 't believe in it, and they 're really upset about being feeling that they 're being forced to do something that they don 't want to do yeah,
1: um I agree i mean I think the people the, the number of people who are certainly against this vaccine is is being underestimated. And, and it's interesting, Dr. Profetto. I had a, I had a feeling this would happen because a couple of weeks ago on our Free For All Friday show, one person called in saying uh, they needed a medical exemption. I forgot what she said the reason was. And then the lines filled up with people who said, oh, I have a medical reason. And I'm thinking, I don't think there are very many accepted medical reasons. Yeah, I, so I, I think that's
10: the key, right? So in, if you look at the, the strict scientific data, there's, there's actually very, very few, if any, true medical exemptions to the vaccine. The difficult part is when you operationalize that, it depends on the adjudication process. And this is, this is something that I've struggled with over the last couple of weeks, and I've tried to get clarification. And I'm actually very happy with the statement that the CPSO put out, because it was, it was rather clarifying and supportive of family doctors in our situation. So if someone wants a medical exemption letter, it really depends on where they're trying to get it approved and what, what, what the process for them would be. And if that is left to the individual doctor, the business, and the patient, it's going to be very unclear. It's going to be very, un, it's going to be very vague and oftentimes difficult to enforce from a purely scientific basis when people are very, very concerned for whatever reason to get the vaccine.
1: Uh, yeah, so so Dr. Naiman, can you clarify, first of all, have you given out any medical exemptions?
5: No. I'm proud to say that I've held um, and haven't listened to people complain. I've listened to people yell at me. I'm, I'm sure I will lose patience over it. But at some point, I made the decision early in the pandemic that people weren't going to be getting prescriptions for hydroxychloroquine. People now harass me on an almost daily basis for prescriptions for ivermectin. Oh, my God. People wanted mask exemptions. People wanted to get vaccines early when they didn't qualify. And this is just another thing along the process. And I just explained to them that I have to follow the rule that, yes, I have an obligation to work with you as the patient, but I also have a societal obligation. And if I give you an exemption so that you can get into a gym and you happen to have COVID, then I, on some part, is responsible if you are if you're test positive for COVID and start an outbreak, and people just aren't happy. it's it's I can get off the phone with patients, and, and it's just the extent of how upset people are about this. I've never seen it before. I have patients who are threatening to leave, who will either move to Alberta or to Costa Rica. They've lost friends. They've lost family over this. And the, what the vaccine has done and how it's affected their life, it's just they've sort of reached the boiling point with this requirement to be vaccinated in order to go into certain places well wow. Um uh,
1: dr Profeto, is it is it that extreme in your practice and and i'm also wondering if there's any parallel i know um you know as employers we've we, we see some pretty dubious medical notes um is, so is there any parallel with that kind of thing
10: yes i I, I would say it's been very, a very similar experience for me and that people are very upset. And for a lot of people, politically, this, this is a very strong stance that they're taking. That's why I think having the CPSO backup for physicians generally across the province has actually been very, very helpful. Um, the, 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 the comparison to medical notes, I think, is a very good one. So many times, depending on the scenario and sometimes the ambiguity in the situation, and how to sort of give advice, doctors would very easily give medical notes that probably aren't necessarily substantiated for medical reasons. I think there's been similar situations with the vaccine, but again, with the adjudication process now, it's a lot different. So in order to work, for example, in certain institutions, hospitals, universities, schools, et cetera, you need proof of vaccine in order to go. And if you don't, you need a medical exemption, but a simple letter from a doctor no longer suffices and as the other doctor says a lot of people have stayed firm a small percentage have probably been convinced or persuaded and there has been a large percentage that have stayed firm what what i would say is probably a mix of what they believe is medical reasons but also political ones as well
1: hmm. And, you know, sometimes uh, even what I found just from having a call in show, even when it comes to, say, a regular flu vaccine, you know, people say, oh, 40 years ago, I had a bad reaction. So I'm never taking a shot. Um, it's, it's, it seems, I don't know, a bit strange to me. Dr. Neiman, um you know, can you go over what are accepted exemptions?
5: Sure. So, so, and as you mentioned, and as the college has outlined, there's very few exemptions. So one is that you've had a reaction to the first dose of the vaccine, and that's actually only a temporary exemption because you actually have to be sent to an allergist or immunologist for a further assessment, and oftentimes medications can be given prior to receiving the second dose. So that's only considered to be a temporary exemption until you have a, a consultation with, with the specialist. The other one is if you're anaphylactic to one of the components of the vaccine, and there's very few, and then the last exemption is, is that you've developed pericarditis as a result of having the first shot.
1: Yeah, so... Um, and do either of you have a sense of how many medical exemptions have been given out in the province?
10: I, I, would, I would suggest... For the individuals that are, are really trying to keep updated with college guidelines and and guidelines from our, our infectious disease and immunology colleagues, it would probably be very few. I have I actually have given one out for a documented pericarditis, mild slash pericarditis situation, which is actively being treated. Um, I think the vast majority of doctors in my area, say Hamilton, McMaster, have chosen not to provide medical exemptions. And the the only other thing I would say though is I also am a little bit more sympathetic to people who are not necessarily strongly political, but just genuinely very worried, especially when they have a medical issue or something that I personally have not experienced. So I understand that people have different experiences and different views. So I try not to be super militant. And I think a lot of doctors are trying to be sensitive as well, uh, just in terms of addressing these concerns.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, but like both of you were saying, is that y- you're only managing to convince
5: a small number of people. So That's right. Anybody who anybody right now who's wanted a vaccine has gotten the vaccine. Um, I will say, though, that in my practice, that since, since they announced the passport, the Ontario government announced the passport, that I've all of a sudden had people who've received their first shot. So I think it's swayed a small bunch of people. But, uh, you know, yesterday, Toronto Public Health said that 300,000 more people need to get the vaccine in Toronto to get to 90%. I would be surprised to get to, if we're able to get 300,000 more people to get their first doses. Mm-hmm. I think people who are left now are people who
1: do not want the vaccine. And uh, Dr. Profetto, same thing. Did you see a little bit of a spike in people who are getting their first shot?
10: yeah I, I i was actually speaking to my colleague in my office yesterday about this we We've definitely seen an uptick in the amount of vaccines that are going out and and uh, as as the other doctor said the the um, the first doses for a bunch of people that were sort of on the fence have actually gone through. I agree though I don't know I, I think I think there's a significant chunk of that population, whatever it is, like in the hundreds of thousands or whatever, but that that are probably not going to convert with the current messaging that's going out. And I think that's a very important next step in operationalizing this public health plan.
1: One of the things that I heard from people is that um, they don't know the long-range effects, which I guess is true. We don't know the long-range effects. But uh, what do you say to that objection? So
5: what I say to them is... Um, I tell them that they're right. We don't know the long-term effects. I say that the technology has been in, been being developed for many years, that they never really truly had to apply it to a vaccine because the circumstances never happened. Um, and that I say that if you get COVID, we don't really know the long-term effects. I have patients who are young in their 20s who are healthy who are COVID long-haulers. There's been throughout history when people, when there's been pandemics and people get sick, that there's people end up developing developing complications that are the result. I don't like polio. I have patients now who are in their 70s and 80s who got polio when they were young. They've had problems the rest of their life. Same thing happened after the Spanish flu. There was a whole bunch of people who de- had developed chronic fatigue. Mm-hmm. So we don't know the impact of of getting of getting the virus, and um, we all have to sort of do our part and get the vaccine. And probably of the two things it's probably the safest bet is to get the vaccine versus to get sick with the virus.
1: Dr. Profetto, I'm going to give you the last word. So um, are you anticipating more of the same, uh, more deluge of requests?
10: Yeah, so two, two quick pieces. I, I agree with the comments about the long-term effects. It, it's interesting for me personally, like the, the long-term concerns for vaccines and, and scientific methods that we've used for decades now, it, it it's for me it's a very small concern i think going forward i think i think the vaccination messaging has to be very positive it has to be very collegial and i'm trying to engage individuals that are still hesitant or concerned in in what is i think a very sensitive and understanding way and trying to make the messaging as comfortable as possible with the least amount of perceived coercion in order to get people to effectively vaccinate and that way we can move forward and that all being said, I do try to understand when people are coming from different perspectives, meeting them somewhere in between and trying to converge on a productive path.
1: Okay, well, I uh, wish you all the best with that. And thank you so much for clarifying this, Dr. Jason Profetto and Dr. Alisa Naiman. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that is all the time we have for today, people. Free for All Friday is coming up tomorrow if you were not able to get through or if uh, you think about more comments based on what we heard here today. Free for all Friday is tomorrow and that's all the time we have for today.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads.